BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Dating is full of tricky challenges. How long should you wait to call someone after getting their number? Who should cover the dinner bill? The documentary series Love on the Spectrum explores the hurdles and joys that autistic people face when they enter the dating pool. Now in its third season on Netflix, it's an American version of the original Australian series and premieres tomorrow. So this hour, we're talking love, heartbreak, and how autism plays into the beautiful messiness of dating. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Dating can be hard, and often autistic people don't get the support they need when looking for love. That's what sparked the idea for the Australian docuseries called Love on the Spectrum. Tomorrow is the premiere of its third season on Netflix, this time filmed in America, a lot of it in California. Here's part of the trailer. Are you looking for love? Uh, Yes, unquestionably so. I don't want to be alone. I want to find someone. I haven't dated in 33 years. (sighs) You could imagine I have to kiss many frogs to find the right guy. (laughs) Nope. Everyone is different. Correct. Whether you're on the spectrum or not. We are, however, all looking for the same thing. Respect, understanding, and a whole lot of love. This hour, we meet the show's director and co-creator and two Californians participating in the series. And we want to hear from you. Are you or a child or loved one on the spectrum and have dating stories you'd like to share? Do you plan to watch Love on the Spectrum? If you watched previous seasons, what did you think? You can post your answers and stories on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Joining me first is Kian O'Cleary, the show's co-creator and director. Welcome, Kian. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. And so for those not familiar with the series, could you just explain the concept? Okay, well, I guess, I mean, you know, the title kind of says a lot of what the series is about. Um, It's basically following a, it's a character-led series following a group of people who are all on the autism spectrum um, looking for love. And when you say character-led, what do you mean by that? Uh, 
I guess I just mean that it's telling it's it's people's stories. It's it's telling the stories of the people who are featured. You know, it's not a, an essay kind of series. It's not it's not trying to explain what autism is. You know, through uh, an academic lens, it's basically telling the stories of the people who who we're following. So yes. it's about them. You know, it's about right. Danny, it's about James. It's about Abby. Reality shows can often present such a highly curated or misleading version of participants' experiences. So how did you make sure you were making it about them? Uh, oh, look, I think it just is is the way that we infuse everything we do or the way that we kind of approach everything right from the very beginning. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's making sure that, um, you know, everything is filmed on their terms, not on our terms. It's... it's um, I, I don't know. It's it's just that it infuses all of the elements from you know our initial conversations to the filming to the editing, um, and just making sure that you know when we watch what what the product is that we think, hey, this is something that they'll be happy with. You know, I think yeah. for for us, you know, the most important critics are the people who are in the show, um, and you know, I guess that can sometimes not be said for some reality shows out there. But, um, you know, it, this is a series that, you know, I want people who are in it to be really proud of. Right. And especially important to allow people to be at the center of their own stories. So, Kian, you yourself are not on the spectrum. What made you want to make a dating show about people on the spectrum? What made you want to explore romance, for example, when there are so many facets of autism? Well, so I had made a couple of uh, docu-series previously um, before this series, and it, they were about people with disabilities looking for work uh, and, you know, exploring the idea that there is quite a bit of underemployment within the disability community. And, mm. you know, autism represents a huge um, um, a, a huge percentage of the disability community. I think in Australia it's around 40%. So, you know, we spoke to lots and lots and lots of people on the spectrum, especially young adults, because I guess that's where you, you look at the demographic of people who are really wanting work and not getting given a chance. And, you know, met hundreds and hundreds of people, filmed with lots of people and told their stories. And just through that and through getting to know them, just found that there was actually a real um, hunger and, and there was a real hunger's not the right word that doesn't sound good does it there was there was, a, there was <laughs> i a, get what you mean but yeah you know there, there the people really wanted a lot of people we spoke to really 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 wanted to find love um sure they wanted to find a job but in in most um cases it was much more important for them to find you know relationships and and, and human connection and it just felt like there was uh i don't know there was just something missing in terms of support um and and also in terms of just being able to you know get these stories out there and and help people understand you know i guess from the australian series for example i always talk about mark you know 30 years old uh wants nothing more than to fall in love and get married and have a family never been on a date you know so something's wrong when when that presents itself to you you know something something's not right so um that was where i guess the initial inspiration came from just from the people we worked with um, and then, you know, I've always wanted to also make um, uh, something of my own within that dating space, uh, you know, with real people, just telling real stories in a, in, a, in a nice, kind, positive way. So it was, I guess, a combination of, of things and of my experiences and the people I'd met and, you know, developed it um, with, with Karina at Northern Pictures in Australia. And, um, you know, we made it for the Australian Public Broadcaster. So... 
you know, that was that was the initial inspiration. And, you know, it was just a little series for Australia, but then it got picked up and here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, how did, how was it received among the autistic community in Australia after it initially came out? Look, it's been overwhelmingly positive, I think. Um, and, I, and, and the most important thing, like I said, for us is that it's telling these, you know, people's stories in their in their own voices. You know, that's why we film the master interviews in the way that it looks like they're looking down the camera, whereas they're actually looking at me. It's a reflection of me. Um, you know, it's it's giving voice to people in a docu series that, um, I mean, in an industry where a lot of representations of autism have been fictionalized characters, uh, and I think that was really important. So, you know, series one and two. I, I mean, I I don't know the numbers, but we've introduced audiences to you know a lot of people um with a lot of diversity within the spectrum and that's the most important thing for me is just being able to show and I guess that was partly the inspiration too is having met all of these people when we were making these other series just realizing wow you know the spectrum is very very diverse and uh, I don't think people really understand that broad broadly you know within society and, and to me that's the most important thing we can do um, as filmmakers in making a show like this is to to really show that. Did did the show evolve or change as you were making the first couple of seasons in terms of the area of focus or what you wanted to show? Um, I, oh, probably. I mean, it was kind of changing and evolving every week. I mean, we're, we're very... <laughs> yeah. We're a very... We don't film things in a kind of very structured, planned way. So... It, it, we call it a documentary series. Sometimes people call it a reality show. I think it sort of, you know, sits somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's a it's a docu series. Um, the only structured elements are that we set people up on dates, we find matches for them, and the reason we do that is because there isn't a service doing that. And you know, if we were just going to be following, for example, Mark wanting to date, we'd just be filming for a year and, and nothing would happen. So um, that was the structured element of it. But apart from that, the documentary series um, style means that, you know, we, we start telling people stories and we see where they go. So always changing, always evolving. Um, you know, some people's stories end up being a lot, um, I guess, bigger than we thought they might be. And some people's stories aren't. It's, it, it's very important to be really flexible with it and to just go with what's happening and, and take the stories where, where they're naturally heading rather than trying to enforce, you know, our own idea of, of something onto them. I'm so curious um, what it was like to film in America and if there uh -huh. were any changes or challenges um, yeah. in terms of, yeah, what you had to deal with to shoot it here. Uh, well, I guess firstly I should say that um, this is series one of Love on the Spectrum US rather than a third series. So, you know, two ah. series in Australia, this is the first series of, an American season and you know it was it's a great privilege to be able to do this and for, for me to have been over here and, and making this you know um this you know the U.S. obviously is the, the biggest market in the world in terms of TV and entertainment and if there's any way that you can help people understand about something about autism for example it's by making a U.S. version hopefully uh if people watch it um but what's what was different um Oh, look, it's really, I, people always ask me that and I'm not sure what the answer is, but I guess firstly we filmed during COVID, so that was a big thing. Um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, testing and planning and wearing masks and, you know, sanitising and all, all sorts of things 
that I guess made things a little bit more difficult logistically. Mm. But, you know, having said that, we didn't have a single case the entire time of the filming period. And um, so that was good. We also filmed in a lot of areas of the US, um, whereas the Australian one, we, we were fairly localised. So that actually made, again, for just a lot more logistical challenges. But also it was, you know, it was great, you know, it was great to be able to spend time up in San Francisco and, you know, across on the East Coast in Boston and it, 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 was, it was fun. And I don't know, I guess because the Australian series had been out and a lot of people in the autism community had seen it, I think we just had really positive receptions from everyone we spoke to. You know, when, when we first made the Australian series, um, you know, there were some hesitations about, you know, oh, what, you oh, you want to make a dating show? about you know, so, so there was a bit of kind of reticence from people to help us out and get involved and help spread the word. But when we came over here, people were just so on board. Um, the, the enthusiasm and positivity was amazing. What were the biggest fears of some of the people who were going to participate in it, you know, for the very first time? Well, I don't think it wasn't necessarily the people themselves. It was organizations or, you know, people who we were asking to help spread the word within their community. Yes. Um, because we don't ever try and pressure individuals into being a part of it. You know, we're just trying to spread the word out so as many people have the opportunity to to write into us and express interest as possible. And, you know, once people heard it, about it and once the people within the community who were interested heard it, you know, I mean, we were flooded with, with people. Um, there's so many people out there really wanting help, um, you know, and unfortunately we can only help a few, but hopefully the series has inspired more support in that space, which it has. I mean, there's, there's you know, there's literally... Um, groups and organizations even named after the show that are helping people with dating and starting programs in that space. Wow. We're talking with Keanu Cleary, director and co-creator of the Northern Pictures production Love on the Spectrum. The first season set in the U.S. premieres tomorrow on Netflix. Have you watched the earlier seasons of Love on the Spectrum in Australia? And if so, what struck you about them? Do you think you will watch this season? And what are you watching for? 866-733-6786, the number. Email your questions to forum at kqedd.org or post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. 
who was George Floyd and what was it like to live in his America? Those are the questions that Washington Post reporters Robert Samuels and Tolu Olorunipa set out to answer in their new biography. His name is George Floyd. What do you want to know about Floyd's life before his murder by Minneapolis police two years ago this month? You can share your questions ahead of the show by leaving a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking about navigating the dating world as an autistic person. And with us is the creator of the docuseries Love on the Spectrum, Kian O'Cleary. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. Have you watched earlier seasons of Love on the Spectrum? What struck you? What questions do you have? Will you watch this season, which is the U.S. premiere? It airs tomorrow on Netflix. And uh, if so, what are you watching for? Maybe you yourself or a loved one is autistic and has a dating story to share. We'd love to hear that, too. Again, you can post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email forum at kqed.org or call us 866-733-6786. I'd like to introduce now Danny Bowman, who's featured on the show. She's the founder and chief creative officer of Danimation Entertainment, a company she started at age 14. She teaches animation to teens and young adults on the spectrum and champions neurodiversity in the workplace and describes herself as half Mexican, half Caucasian with a smidge of Asian. Welcome, Danny Bowman. Hello. How's things going with you? Uh, Really, really well. I'm so glad to have you on the show. And I'm so curious, why did you want to be on Love on the Spectrum US? So that's a really great question. The reason why I really wanted to be on this show, it's because it's hard to find someone who understands me, somebody who is highly motivated, who has the best hygiene, doesn't play games and shares a similar career interest. None of my past relationships really fit this criteria. (laughs) Being on the spectrum, meeting potential love interests is really difficult because finding someone who understands me and how busy I am is hard. I get so wrapped up with my work. And at first the guys say they could handle me being so busy, but then they realize that, yeah, I am really busy. I guess I need to work on making time. And I thought this show could help me. When I was first approached by Kian, I was in graduate school getting my MBA, teaching class, and trying to grow my animation company. Even though I wanted to find love, it was practically impossible to find the time. So I Mm. thought, fantastic, this would be a great opportunity to find love. I really enjoyed exploring different locations and meeting new potential love interests, especially from the the speed dating experience. What did you like about speed dating? Speed dating, it's so much fun because um, I get to choose and examine not just the looks of it, but also what they what they're coming from and see if they have the um, if they have the potential um, interests that we share. And I can just choose and check off check off the um, the ideal partner I mean, the ideal um, pot- potential love interest. Yeah, I, I really liked the way that you described your ideal partnership, you described it as like a double helix, one strand, your romantic relationship, and then the other strand, your friendship and business partnership. Can you say more about that and why that's ideal to you? What is it ideal for me? It's um, it's because um, it's a way to help. Uh, that way, it's going to really help my company if they could be able to work at Danny Mation, somebody who has a, um, a, a knowledge... It, 
someone needs to have a knowledge in business, knows how to run the business, knows the executive side. That way um, it could really help me. It could really help me with, um, with my company and other things. Yeah, it's a it's a big part of what sounds like is important to you. On the show, you do go on a date with someone named Solomon. This is in the first episode. And you look pretty comfortable. And it seems like you two had a lot to say and had a lot in common. Um, but were you not feeling too comfortable underneath? Um, not comfortable. Um, I did not know. I just thought Solomon was the right. He, I thought he was the right fit because he is an autism advocate. But I did not know what's under the surface for Solomon, but it didn't work out eventually. <laughs> what is the hardest thing about dating? The hardest thing about dating is uh, organizing your thoughts and communication, making sure, making sure you, that you have your, you have the list together. Sometimes I, sometimes my brain thinks faster than my mouth, which is, which is really hard for me to communicate. That's why I tend to fumble my words a bit. <laughs> yeah, can you tell us about some of the most the funniest or the the dating experiences that you remember most? I think one of the funniest um I I'm not so sure if I could remember, but I think the funny part was like um I when I seem seeing myself seeing myself um like laughing when Solomon just um this Solomon mentioned I was like Ralph like that. <laughs> yeah, that's I had that um, moment when I was like, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody has different, um, uh, different um, <clears throat> job um, occupations. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add about being on the show or to tell our listeners about your experience? Well, one most important thing I learned from the experience is um, learning how to set boundaries from the beginning, because um, you have to let your ideal partner know what's the do's and the don'ts, because um, you want in order to make each other um, in order to make each other feel happy. It goes both ways. Mm. And to be really clear about those do's and the don'ts. Well, I am really grateful to have you come on, Danny, and so impressed by the fact that you're the founder and chief creative officer of Danimation Entertainment, the animation company that you started when you were 14. Is there anything you want to tell us about Danimation Entertainment before I let you go? So um, our mission at Danimation, we help people with autism rise above the status quo by encouraging them to build upon their unique strengths and capabilities to build some self-confidence, work skills, independent living, and employability. We at Danimation entertain, educate, elevate, and employ people with autism through our animation programs by guiding them how to turn their passion into a career. Mm. And we've got some, and I've got some fun updates to talk about. I am I'm definitely, we are in, um, I'm right now in the middle of um, in-house animation productions, and we are preparing to resume our summer animation camps in person after teaching on Zoom for the past two years. I have three camps in Florida, two in the UK, two in Pennsylvania, and one, and one in Los Angeles, be on the lookout. If you want to learn more information about Danimation, go to www com, or you can follow me and Danny Mation on social media on Facebook Danny Bowman or Danny Mation Entertainment you can follow us on LinkedIn we've got an Instagram a Twitter you can google me and Danny Mation well it sounds like a really incredible organization Danny Bowman of Danny Mation Entertainment and of course cast member of Love on the Spectrum thanks so much for coming and talking with us 
No problem. Anytime. And you Thank are you for having me. Really great to have you. And you, our listeners, are also with us. And we've got some calls coming in. Let me start with Cheryl and Hayward. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. Um, I absolutely love the Australian series, and I'm going to watch the one in the United States. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Um, we have a family member who was a teacher in the San Mateo School District for Autistic Children, um, and their program was very unique in that they stayed. the teachers stayed with the children, the same group of kids, from kindergarten all the way through high school. And a lot of what they did as the kids got older was teaching them life skills with the idea that they would be able to live independently. The problem was is that there are very few, if any, supportive services for young adults and their families after they graduate. It's sort of like the foster kid systems. Like once mm. you age out, good luck. And so I'm, I'm really interested. And she spent the last couple of years of her career working really hard, trying to get funding for some kind of a structure, at least on the peninsula, but she really didn't have any luck at all. So, I, you know, I'm really interested in the producer's experiences of um, in Australia, what supportive services are provided for young adults and adults on the autistic spectrum uh, versus here. I noticed in the series that it seems like a lot of the young people live with their families, but not, not everyone. So, hmm. Kia yeah, no clear, yeah, in terms of comparison of services for, for people with autism. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I can only really speak to my experience of, you know, the people we filmed with and, and you know, I guess I, I, I had a reasonable idea just based on organisations we spoke to. I mean, you know, generally in the US, support services in the whole kind of that realm are, are a little lesser than in Australia. And I think that's also the case with um, autism, as as a caller was saying, you know, Maybe there isn't a lot. I, you know, there are some areas, though. I think it's um, where I can't remember where we were, where we actually went and met a few autism organizations. I think it was Flagstaff or somewhere in Arizona, maybe Phoenix, where there's actually a lot of um, organizations that are looking at that specific thing of, you know, helping people once they reach young adulthood to move out of home and live independently. And, you know, we visited a couple of places where, you know, they'd built a, a whole complex and everyone was living there and they had support. Um, so that was really great. And yeah, look, there can always be more support. In Australia, we have uh, something called the NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is very, very heavily funded by the government. So we do have a lot of support in Australia, just in terms of just generally, not so much, as I said, in dating and relationships. But yeah, I think, you know, th there can always be more, I think. Yeah. And in terms of support, I'd like to introduce another cast member um, of Love on the Spectrum US, and that's Jennifer Cook, who's an autism expert and advocate whose books include The Asper Kids, Secret Book of Social Rules, and Autism in Heels, The Untold Story of a Female Life on the Spectrum. And she herself is on the spectrum on season, uh, the first season in the US of of the program Love on the Spectrum. She's a dating coach and all-around support provider. So welcome to the program, Jennifer Cook. Thank you so much, Mina. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, really great to have you. And um, so Jennifer, the series features people with a range of challenges and gifts. And I was so struck by how good you were at meeting people where they were and figuring out just what technique might work best for them to prepare for a date. And uh, there's this scene that I wanted to ask you about when I saw it, where you are rolling a ping pong ball back and forth with a cast member named Abby. Can you just talk a little bit about what you were doing there? Sure, absolutely. And thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. Um, you know, being on the autism spectrum myself means, I think, that 
rather naturally I can intuit what's going on with my fellow spectrumite and, you know, what um, challenges might be poking through at that particular moment. So um, reciprocal conversation, that is conversation that looks like a tennis match, just going back and forth naturally. That is something that can be really difficult for folks on the spectrum, not because we're not good at sharing, not because we're disinterested in what others have to say, but because um, spontaneous conversation in and of itself, the ability to switch thoughts, switch trains of thoughts, our thinking tends to be a lot like either trains or fireflies, either all over the place or very, very much in one direction without wanting to change. Hmm. Abby, um, who you were speaking about, was was absolutely um, in firefly mode that day, which is a beautiful thing. It's when you can, it's the kind of thinking that can be utterly creative and super fun. It can also make having a dialogue challenging. Um, So seeing that she was absolutely um, sort of in a free thinking mode, kind of here, there and everywhere. I knew that that was going to be something that was going to create some problems if she was on a date trying to interact with someone and trying to connect with somebody because to connect with someone, you need to be able to give and take and respond in real time to where they are. So one of the things that I have learned in my work with folks on the spectrum is that taking, and you know what, this is true for the entire human spectrum. I'm going to say, first of all, I think, I think I, everything, everything that I say, honestly, I think goes for the entire human spectrum. Really, it's totally. just life, the volume turned up for us. Um, but, you know, what, that if we start with something concrete, it's easier to abstain go to an abstract place from there. So by using this ping pong ball and sitting across the room and rolling it back and forth with her, not only did it give her something to focus her attention on rather than whatever might be coming next into her brain, right? She was forced to focus her eyes or her thoughts on that ping pong ball. And then also to, if I adjusted and threw it and rolled it a little to the right to move where I was rolling it and roll it back and forth with those minute adjustments happening, which is what you have to do in a conversation. You can't go in and interview the other person. You have to be ready to give and take and move and flow a little bit. By doing that, we were able to have, and I loved the reaction at the end, right? We had this, this dialogue back and forth that was, we went on for a, you know, a good minute. And at the end, I said to her, do you realize what you just did? You just had a conversation with me. And she was delighted because no, she hadn't even realized it. And that was a great moment of congratulations. So that was a, that was a fun, that was a fun thing. Yeah, it was a really great moment. And well, let me go to caller Jeff in San Carlos. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Um, Sure. I want to say my problem is that I came late to the party. I didn't get my diagnosis for autism until I was 68. And so I didn't work on it. And in fact, I ruined a lot of relationships when I was younger. I have both ADD and autism. And it is, I'm sure, difficult when you're neurotypical and you're older to start dating, it's a little worse, I think, when you're autistic. Uh, on top of that, I'm gay. It's more complicated than being straight. And I still have low confidence in my ability to read other people's behaviors. Uh, I think I often misunderstand people, and it's just, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm always worried. Am I getting it wrong? Am I getting it wrong? Mm-hmm. And you can't exactly stop the conversation and say, wait a minute, let's, let's take a meta moment here and let's, let's see if we're on the same, on, on the same uh, 
a, a, a chain of conversation, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Jennifer, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what, what Jeff is saying here, the challenges that he's facing and how he feels about what stage he is in in life. Absolutely. First of all, Jeff, thank you for calling and sharing your story with us. It's yeah. it's an honor to get to speak with you. Um, you know, actually, there are some important things to say. First of all, I wasn't diagnosed till 10 years ago. So I think for a lot of us who um, don't present in what the vernacular understanding of autism is an adult diagnosis is not only more and more common and you know it's actually a gift right whatever point it comes in your life it's it's a gift because there is so much self-awareness that comes with that moment um second thing is actually in the um if in the cast and the participants um, on the show, we actually have a gentleman who was diagnosed um, later in life and he is 63. And so very much at a point where he's kind of exploring that same experience that you're talking about. One thing, Jeff, that I would say is there's no reason you can't stop in the middle of a conversation and say, you know what, can, you, can I just double check for one second? Here's what I'm hearing you say. Is that is that what you mean? That's There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if I had someone do that to me, I would say, wow, this person, I would be thinking, you know, wow, this person really is, um, is seeing me as a priority and this conversation is a priority. So I understand what it is to be second guessing yourself and to think I'm about to pull the rug out from under my own feet. I get that. And at the same time, I think you'd be surprised. Give yourself the grace of that. Um, give yourself the grace of that interaction. It really could do much more good for you than, than you might think. Well, thanks for that, Jennifer. And thanks for the call, Jeff. And just reminding listeners that Jennifer Cook is an author, an autism advocate, and also cast member on Love on the Spectrum US. Also, Kian O'Cleary is with us, director, showrunner, executive producer, co-creator of the Northern Pictures production Love on the Spectrum. The first season set in the US premieres tomorrow on Netflix. And you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts, questions, and experiences about dating on the spectrum. And feel free to share your questions, thoughts with our guests. Also, if you've watched earlier seasons, of Love on the Spectrum and, and want to share what you'd struck you about them or what you are watching for with this new season, 866-733-6786 is the number. Our email address, forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with the director and one of the cast members of the Netflix reality series Love on the Spectrum. The first season in the U.S. drops tomorrow night and was partly shot in California. Keanu Cleary is the show's director and, and executive producer, and Jennifer Cook is featured on the program. And we'd like to hear from you. You can join the conversation by emailing your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or calling us at 866-733-6786. You can share your experiences trying to date on the spectrum, or if you have a loved one who's also trying to do that as well, or just your thoughts on the series. And Navi writes, I'm on the higher end of the spectrum. I was dating for a while, but no longer until I move out and get a better job. While I did have a former life coach write my online dating profile and have gone on a few dates, many of my dates are crash and burn. Being on the spectrum and a person of color, I'm Asian, dating is a subject I'll never crack. Jennifer, when you are talking with someone who has autism, who's considering getting into the dating pool or or re-entering the dating pool after being off of it for a long, being out of it for a long time, what, what are some of the key tips that you give them just to start if they're approaching the process? Sure, sure. You know, I think the first thing, and this is what... I would say to anybody, honestly, um, who is considering dating is that the first thing you have to do is fall for yourself. And I know that sounds so cliche and the last thing that you want to hear when you're ready to get out there, but it really is true because positivity attracts and negativity repels. It's just a truth. So um, when you're putting yourself out there, it's absolutely, that's wonderful that he had someone help to actually write his profile, a coach that he was involved. That's fantastic. I think you need to consider what is it that you're actually looking for when you're going out there dating? You know, um, it's not so much a recipe um, as it is, uh, or a a set profile as it is um, having some general concepts that you, that you know will complement you and then looking for those to sort of um, manifest and then be fulfilled. It is, it's true. If you can go out there and believe in yourself just a little bit, like I'm hearing in that last, in the email that you read, um, that I'm never going to crack it. That's not true. That's just simply not true. I think if we can take the nevers, the don'ts, won'ts, all those negative, that negative language out of the conversation, I think that it, is amazing what can happen. Just switching things around in that last call when when I was saying it's okay to ask questions, it is okay to ask questions. Taking it slowly and deliberately stopping to think about what might this sound like from the other person's perspective? Because that's not something that we do naturally without learning to do. It's why people think that folks on the spectrum don't have empathy, when in reality, I would say that people on the autism spectrum are among the most empathetic I've ever known. It's just that we get there a little bit differently. Well, Camille writes, can your expert guest recommend resources for parents of children who are neurodiverse But passing, I worry about the stress of constant masking. Jennifer Cook, you've written a lot about masking. Could you explain what that is and and, um, maybe offer Camille some resources? 
absolutely. I'd be happy to. So masking is a phenomenon, if you will, it's not really, that is more often seen, but not exclusively seen among girls and women on the spectrum. And there is a great disparity in the accuracy and the frequency of diagnosing girls and identifying girls and women. Um, so masking is really just a coping skill. It is not a negative um, in, in and of itself. It simply means quote unquote, if you will, trying to pass. Now, what's negative about that is it takes so much energy to try to be something and appear like something that you're, that you're not. Um, beyond that, you're losing obviously the intrinsic value of whomever you actually are getting, if you're not getting to be yourself. The other problem is that you can, I heard the phrase higher functioning before. That's one I object to. Um, I like to say that we are more or less obviously challenged. And the reason, the reason that's important is because the more quote unquote that you mask, the more um, or the less obvious that your challenges are, the less support you're going to get. The problem is you can be quite um, in need of support and not be getting it. So that's what I'm hearing in that exhaustion question that, that Camille's talking about. Um, I, without, without sounding, you know, whatever, I'd be happy to suggest, um, the book that you mentioned that I, that I wrote, um, the secret book of social rules. Um, I wrote that for myself after I was diagnosed because it kind of dawned on me, oh my gosh, the world is operating in this observe, think, feel, do pattern. If I can just crack that, there are all these secret social rules that everyone's following and nobody bothered to teach me or nobody bothered to tell me. By doing that, I really got to feel my own power in the world uh, to be able to choose when I wanted to um, kind of come across one way and hopefully then choose when I wanted to just be me. So I would love to be able to say that to Camille, if that's something that you've got to a tween, a teen, even a 20 something. Actually, there are a lot of adults who read this book. Um, that book is, is my best offering. Um, and it's in six languages. So it seems to be working. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kino Cleary, as Jennifer is pointing out, there is a degree, there are, is a whole range to the extent to which autism is a challenge, like how you're challenged by it, whether with regard to how society, right, also then basically compounds those challenges for you. And when I think about that range, I wonder how you cast um, love on the spectrum. Like what sort of balance and represent representation were you hoping to achieve when assembling the group of singles for this season in the U.S. when there is, as you say, such a diversity on the spectrum? Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, firstly, can I say that, you know, it's clear now why Jennifer Cook is part of the series. And, you know, <laughs> we were so happy when we met her and spoke to her and, and that she agreed to, to join us. You know, it was just fantastic. And, you know, she just really, really knows her stuff and, and being on the spectrum herself just was, was fantastic and really helped her to work with the, the participants who, who wanted support. And I guess that's another thing um, to talk about is some people want support, some people don't need it. Um, again, that diversity thing and in terms of casting yeah I mean the simple answer is we just wanted to have as broad a range of um autism presentation as we could in terms of what what did you say Jennifer the um more and less obvious support needs yeah mm -hmm. um that was really important because that's you know our best way of showing an audience and helping people understand that um you know and and for example 
Uh, Kaylin, who appears, I believe, in episode two, um, you know, she's somebody who, I guess, in using that term, passes. She's someone who is passing. But for her, you know, yeah, life can be exhausting, you know, because she nobody would suspect that she's on the spectrum. People are always very surprised when they do hear that. But for her, you know, those social interactions, you know, she she needs to go home and have a rest and just do nothing after you know, spending time with other people because it is that exhaustion of always um, analysing and thinking about what you say before you say it. And, uh, you know, it's it's really, it can be really hard. And like Jennifer was saying, you know, sometimes the people who you expect need less support actually maybe do need a bit of support. Um, mm. So I've gone off track a little mm. bit. No, you no, know, I the, think the, that explains just, it nicely. Yes. Yeah, just really important to, to have that representation. Um, you know, obviously, Sabod and Abby have slightly higher support needs. And, you know, the way Jennifer was working with them would be different to if she was working with, for example, Kaylin or Danny or somebody else. So, um, yeah, look, it, that was the single most important thing for us was, was to really have that breadth of, of representation. And also, you know, we mentioned Steve, who's, you know, 63 and only just found out he's on the spectrum within the last couple of years, you know, so but, uh, similar to that caller before us, you know, living your whole life sort of wondering why am I different? What's happening? Do, you know, is there something wrong with me? And, and I think the, the great thing that I do hear um, from quite a lot of people is that it's a positive thing to receive a diagnosis because it explains things and makes things so much clearer and you can then work on it and understand yourself a bit more. And I think, the stigma hopefully is getting less and less, you know, the, the more we understand about autism, the stigma starts to kind of be taken away and, and it's not a bad thing to be on the spectrum. And I think that's really important. Well, I just wanted to share that the Camille, the, the listener who wrote in earlier, who you responded to with regard to masking, Camille replied, thank you, thank you. Tearing up, my kiddo is an eight-year-old AFAB kiddo, now neutral, identifying AFAB assigned female at birth. So you have had an effect all, already as well, just on this program. Uh, let me go to caller James in San Francisco. Hi, James. Hello. How are you doing today? Great. What would you like to share? Um, I told the lady on the phone, uh, my uh, father got diagnosed after my mother passed uh, in his early 50s as on the spectrum. And it was, like you said, once the masking, once it was seen, it was very, like, noticeable. And he got to really actually develop so well after the diagnosis. But I had a funny story that went along with it because he used the Internet so well, he could just kind of mask his interaction. So one night I get a call to meet him at a uh, nice posh bar in Denver. And I go there and he's actually on a date with two women that had shown up with romantic interests because of their online conversations with him, which were just so eloquent. Um, but he once was there in person, had no realization of what the situation was. So after a few minutes, um, I talked to the ladies and then uh, it had him separate. He was like, I just could not get it. But it became what you were talking about. There were so many complex masking skills. And just to hear this, this broadcast today made me think of that. Uh, well, your, your story made me smile. And, and Jennifer, on the show, you're, you're not just a support 
for the for the daters, but also for their family members, parents, siblings, children who are rooting so hard um, for them to succeed, but also have worries or questions. Can you just talk a little bit about what it's like being a coach for them as well? Oh, gosh, absolutely. I, you know, I keep saying this, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's true. I feel like watching this show, the audience is going to feel just like I did, which is that you want pom-poms because you just want to cheer for everyone. And, you know, I'm the mom of three kids on the spectrum. I have a 19 year old, a 16 year old and a 13 year old. So I know what it is to be in that position of also being the family member and watching your child struggle. Um, it is a privilege to get to interact with folks in a way that, you know, when you know that you have something you can give and it's going to make a difference, even if just for a little while, that it just doesn't get better than that. And um, I think Kean really gifted that to me, uh, getting to work with this with this group of people. We're talking about the joys and challenges of finding love for those on the autism spectrum with Jennifer Cook, a cast member, and also. Uh, her books include The Asper Kids, Secret Book of Social Rules, and Autism in Heels, The Untold Story of a Female Life on the Spectrum. Jennifer is an author and autism advocate. And Keanu O'Cleary is director and co-creator of Love on the Spectrum U.S. The first season set here premieres tomorrow on Netflix. And you, our listeners, are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This listener, Amy, writes, At age 63, I have finally learned an important truth about dating and falling in love, so to speak. Go slow and focus on friendship first. Probably easier to say at my age than for those who are biologically programmed to find a mate. I never had male friends other than the friends of my partners. Now I have three close male friends. Two weren't potential partners, so they made it easy for me to learn how valuable and wonderful it is to have a male friend. One is a former partner, and we now regard each other as best friends. I'm so fortunate and grateful for all of this. I hope this quote advice helps another. It helps me walk in my own power to not consider potential men as a possible partner get to know them first and walk in your power. You know, that's reminding me a little bit of something that you have shared, Jennifer Cook, that uh, you've told people who are entering the dating pool who are autistic not to assume that a compliment or some interaction means a marriage certificate. First, what do you mean by that? And why is that important? So, you know, when you live a life that is just a step outside of the norm, um, or perhaps two, three steps, um, unfortunately, most of us who are on the spectrum have a history of being bullied. And so we know what it is to, as your one um, actual listener was saying, you know, to constantly check in or, or think that you are misunderstanding a situation that you're about to mess up um, and to not be too surprised if you hear something critical that's coming at you. So um, yeah, if you can, um, if you can begin the journey knowing that you are in fact worth more than that more and, and not in error just by being, um, I think that it changes the trajectory entirely of dating. Well, this sister writes, I think I'm on the spectrum. And part of the evidence for that is my lack of social success. I don't speak body language and can't understand <laughs> yeah. eye contact. So I miss most of the unspoken cues that might lead to romantic fulfillment. I take everything literally, but that's not the space where most of the love stuff happens or so I gather. How confusing and lonely to be in this world. So the sister writes, I think I'm on the spectrum. And you had mentioned earlier, Jennifer, that you were diagnosed with Asperger's at 35. 
Mm-hmm. And one thing you've explained a lot, including on the show, is that people on the spectrum, quote, intellectualize what other people into it, which sounds a little bit like what the sister might be describing here. Oh, absolutely. She's hitting the nails. Um, I developed something that I call the checklist checklist. And it's exactly for that reason, because especially among women and girls, that's what you hear. You you have the, I think this sounds like me, here are the ways why, but I'm not sure. It's a little bit, it's because most diagnosticians and most of the way that we understand sort of the profile of autism, it's like thinking that a bottle of water is the only way to quench thirst where, you know, we may have the same need and and grab a fountain drink or grab a a glass of lemonade. They don't look the same as a bottle of water, but they're going to achieve the same ends. Um, So unless folks are understanding what that need is and are looking for other ways that they might be met, um, you know, not all of us are cis white boys. And so it comes out a little bit different, (laughs) Um, but I would invite um, if if your um, listener wants to come to my website, which is Jennifer O'Toole, O-T-O-O-L-E, author.com, there is um, a pop-up box that'll take you to the checklist checklist. It's also that you can download it for free. And it's also available in Autism and Heals, the book. Um, but if, of course, it is isolating and lonely to wonder what's going on with yourself and not have an answer. Um, Finding out your truth is the beginning of everything good. Mm, I think you probably would give similar advice to this listener. Faranak writes, my son is 31 years old, and I believe he might be on the spectrum. We already know he has dyslexia and ADD. He's the kindest person I know, but I believe he doesn't get some social cues. I'd like to know the resources for finding out if he's on the spectrum. I really want him to succeed in life. Anything you'd add to what you were saying just a moment ago, Jennifer? Um, You know, I hate to keep pointing to the same resources, but... um, it, if you, this is one of those things that it's sort of like, if you suspect the odds are that it's true. (laughs) Um, If you go to the Autism Society of America, there are checklists um, that are sort of generalized, but they tend to be more about kids. ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, there is a great overlap. There's the most terrible word when it comes to science is comorbidity, which is just a horrible sounding thing, but it just means an overlap. And it doesn't often mean that you have, you know, multiple diagnoses. It's just sort of all part of an umbrella. Um, So that makes me think possibly, yes, if he's missing social cues, that makes me think probably, yes. Also look at what some of his aptitudes are and probably yes. And take a look at that secret book of social rules. If if that doesn't help, um, I'd be surprised. Hmm. Jennifer Cook, author and autism advocate and cast member of Love on the Spectrum. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my my pleasure and privilege. Thanks for having me. And Keanu Cleary, director and co-creator of Love on the Spectrum US. Congrats on the premiere tomorrow on Netflix. Thanks. Yeah, it's exciting, scary. Um, but, you know, hopefully people will watch and enjoy the stories. Well, and we, also just in yeah. California, I think um, the regional centers do a great job, don't they? And they're um, public funded. So I think they're a good place for resources as well for, for people on the spectrum. Or for, right. if someone suspects that someone might be on the spectrum, I believe regional centers are a really good place to go to for support. Well, that's great to know. And again, thank you both. You've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country... We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.